Be seated, please. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2. We're delighted to have each of you with us this evening. We've got some guests with us, and we're always glad to have company. Always glad to have visitors, and thankful you can come spend a little bit of time as we study God's Word, encourage one another, and look at the things within the Bible. Jason has been taking us through a journey of the life of Peter. We started with Peter and the Gospels. Then we went through the pen of Peter in the, in the book of 1 Peter, and then we are in 2 Peter. And Jason was called away to, to go to a funeral, so to the best of my ability, I'm going to try to keep that rhythm going here and try to keep talking about these things. So we're going to be in the book of 2 Peter chapter 2 this evening. You know, a lot of things in life are wonderful. You go to sunset at the ocean, you see a mountain, you see a lot of things in life are just nice. But it also seems like everywhere you go, there's somebody who doesn't appreciate those things. And they do things that mar it. And so, as we see on the screen, this beautiful, beautiful rock, the sunsets. I've been in places like this. And then you find the rocks, and there's all kinds of graffiti written on it. Just kind of ruins the scene. I've been to lakes before, and it looked beautiful. And you get your camera around, and you take pictures, and then on the edge of the lake, there's all kinds of trash that somebody's just dumped. When we think about technology, and what a wonderful, wonderful tool technology is. I mean, even this evening, we're using various... Uh, instruments of technology with our songs and our PowerPoint. But with that, there are those who want to use technology to steal your identity. And we think about the wonderful world of medicine and how helpful it is. But there are those who want to take that and abuse it and sell it and hurt other people. And part of growing up in life is understanding that not everyone is nice. Not everyone is honest. Not everyone is there to help you. In fact, there are people who purposely want to hurt you. And that really takes us to where we are in our study of the book of 2 Peter. Because Peter is going to talk throughout this chapter about dangers. Dangers that were among them. And it flits in with this theme that we've been talking about, that I am his and he is mine. And as we just about to wrap this year up and kind of put an end to this year as we think about all the things we're doing to remind ourselves of this powerful, powerful theme. I think of one of the best expressions of what discipleship is, I belong to Jesus and Jesus is mine. And what a powerful way it is to see that. So as chapter one of Second Peter ended, Peter was talking about inspiration. Where did the Bible come from? And it tells us in verse 20, know this first of all, 2 Peter 1 verse 20, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Now we've heard that phrase a lot of times, sometimes in a discussion with somebody, and we come to a crossroads where I don't see what you see, and you don't see what I see, and the conversation ends by saying, well, that's your interpretation, that's my interpretation. That's not what Peter is saying here. Peter's talking about origin. Where did the Bible come from? And so know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture was made up by man. Peter didn't sit down and, and think, you know, this would be a good thing to write. Ezekiel didn't say, let me talk about all these kind of wild visions I'm having in my dreams. 
For no prophecy, verse 21, was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And we remember, as the Bible was written, that there was no chapter breaks. That was put in years later for our convenience. And so as chapter 2 begins, immediately he talks about those who are speaking their own message. Those who are not speaking as they were moved by God. Those who have their own agenda. So chapter 2 begins by saying, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false, pro- false teachers among you who secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destructions upon themselves. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. So just as he ended this beautiful picture about the word of God, The word of God comes from God. It is the mind of God. There are those who have their own ideas. There are those who teach things as if they were from God, and they're not. And so he begins by reminding us that Satan has two major weapons. We remember all the way back in the first part of 1 Peter 5, verse 8, he warns us to be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. And the devil really has two major weapons he uses. The first is temptation. Just the dangling of the carrot in front of our eyes of something that is wrong. Do not eat forbidden fruit, but we like forbidden fruit. And that's one of the devil's avenues. The other avenue, which this chapter is going to deal with, is the idea of error. And error is something that really is very subtle because everyone thinks that there's a sense of security. They think they're following what is right, even though they're not. And so this chapter begins by talking about the past tense. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. And let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy to begin with. And I've got some uh, passages from the, from the prophets I want to share with you. But back in Deuteronomy 18... Moses here was talking to the people about coming to the new land. And he says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, But the prophet who speaks the word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, then that thing is not what the Lord has spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you shall not be afraid of him. So Moses here is given a little test. And all along, from the days of Israel on forward, there have been those who have taught things that simply were not correct. Here in Isaiah chapter 5, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That could just be on... The nightly news today. That could come straight from our newspapers today. When people talk about things that are wrong, they, they rejoice about them. They're proud of those things. Who substitute darkness for light, light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Prophet Jeremiah would say, and, and they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. 
And again, what he's driving at is, as, as Peter begins the second chapter, is there were false prophets long ago, and they were a, a major factor in the lives of the people. In the book of Jeremiah, once again, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. And for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, calamity will not come upon you. Now we remember, through Jeremiah, they were told that they're going to go into captivity. God is going to put them in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. That was the punishment for the idols. Well, there were prophets in the land saying, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. And so the, the verse ends, but who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? In other words, you've got these men who are saying all these things, but have they stood before me? Have I told them these things? And so what this chapter begins with is by reminding them false teachers has been around for a long, long time. But now as the chapter goes on, you'll notice in verse 1, he says, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Present tense. There was trouble then, and there's trouble now. now I want you to go on a little journey with me through the New Testament. I want you, I want you to notice how many times the Bible mentions this. More than the apostles talking about worship, the Bible talks more about the integrity of doctrine than any other subject along this line. And so when we go all the way back to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, notice what the Lord says here. Matthew 7, beginning here in uh, verse 15, Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from th thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. And what Jesus is warning here is there are going to be troublesome times. There's going to be dangers among us. There's going to be some false teachers. Now turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts in chapter 20. This gets a little more narrow for us. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle here warns about some of the elders or the shepherds there at Ephesus. And I want you to notice in verse 29 and verse 30 of Acts 20. Acts 20, 29, 30. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, almost the same language of Jesus, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. That's the eldership. From among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. That's their agenda. I want a following. I want a gathering. I want people to follow me. Galatians now. Galatians chapter 1. And over and over, the New Testament has these serious warnings about the integrity of scriptures. 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, verse 7. I am amazed, he says, that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now go with me to the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And again, noticing what the Bible says about this important topic. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from their faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in those who believe and know the truth. We go to the sixth chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, looking at verse 3. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, constant friction between men of deprived mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Then in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 1, but realize this in last days difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied his power, and avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then if you go with me to the first chapter of Titus, Titus chapter 1, right after he lists what we call the characteristics of shepherds, he says in verse 10, verse 11 of Titus 1, For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Over and over what we're seeing in this picture, God has said, in the, in the old days, there are people who are saying things that I didn't say. God says, but I didn't say those things. And Peter's saying, in your time, false teachers will arise. And so this is a concern for us as we think about these things. Now, Peter doesn't specifically tell us what all the details of the false teaching are. But when you go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, and you notice verse 1, we know some things that comes about. He says, first of all, that they're going to introduce things secretly. Secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them. Denying Jesus. Destructive heresies. He says in verse 2 that they're going to be led by sensuality. It's a form of sexual sin. Their impulses are going to be governing their, their spirit and their heart. And then he says in verse 3 that they, they will exploit you with false words. Verse 18 talks about arrogant words. Verse 19 talks about making promises that they cannot keep. And so as, as this chapter begins, he's letting them know that these are dangerous times. 
And we're going to make a bridge to us today as we think about these things. Now, when you go down to verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, we notice what he talks about here. Well, again, we, we just put a couple other thoughts up here. First of all, when you think about false teaching, they're lookalikes. That's why it's a wolf in sheep clothing. It looks like a sheep, but it's not. It's really counterfeits. It's close, but it's not the real thing. You, know, you go to some places today, and they sell these knockoff purses. It's supposed to look like the real deal, but it's not the real deal. And banks sometimes will go through all kinds of efforts to determine whether this is a real dollar bill or a fake dollar bill. And what we're dealing with here is somebody who's claiming to be telling the truth of God, but he's not. Now, beginning with verse 4, what he identifies is God did not spare. He, said, he says in verse 4, God did not spare sinful angels. Angels that did not do what was right, God has put them reserved for their punishment. Then he tells us, in the days of Noah, God did not spare the civilization other than Noah's immediate family. We see that the world was condemned because of their sin. And then in verse 6, he talks about Sodom and how Sodom was not spared. And God condemned those cities because of their ungodliness. And I think the parallel thought all the way down to the very end of this chapter is, God's not going to spare you if you follow something that's not true. Let's read the verses, if you will, verse 20 and 21. He says, For if after they escape the defilements of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. You got out of the snare of the devil, and you let him catch you again. And then he says in verse 21, For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having to know it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. It, is, has, it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow, after washing, returns to wowering in the mud. And so here's this idea of escapement and entanglement, clean and unclean. All of that represents what happens when one gets tangled up in things that are not right. The false error of these things. Now, two thoughts I want to share with you here, right here, immediately. There is a popular, popular religious doctrine that's been around for centuries that once you're saved by God, you cannot be lost. These verses here alone show that that's not true. As a Christian, you can lose your soul. If you allow false doctrine into your heart and you start teaching, following, believing things that are not true, practicing things that are not true, it's just like going back to the mud as a wash pig. And when we look at verse 20, the question comes up, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Why? Well, here's why. It's sad to be lost. It's sad to be in hell. But what's worse than that is when you're supposed to be in heaven and you're over here now. You knew what God said. You believed in that. You were baptized and you were cleansed of your sins. But you got caught up in error, believing and practicing some things that are not right. And so here you are. You're a Christian in hell. What could be worse? You don't belong there. And can you imagine another guy beside you just nudging you and say, hey, you were over there. What are you doing over here? That's the point Peter's making. And that's why Peter's emphasizing how difficult this is. And what he does, he shows us the character of these false teachers. He tells us in verse 10 that they're self-willed. 
daring, self-willed. They do not tremble when they revile against angelic majesties. Notice verse 11. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. In other words, they're doing things that angels wouldn't do. Angels know better. But among these false teachers, they're so arrogant and stuck in their ways, that's the way they are. Verse 14 describes them as having eyes full of adultery. That's all they see. And then it says in verse 14, they never cease from sin. They're like an animal running on instinct, verse 12 describes. And again, in verse 14, their heart is trained in greed. Verse 15 simply says they have forsaken the right way. Now, before we go on to some points of application, you might ask, why would somebody follow somebody like this? Why would somebody get caught up into something that's not true? We need to understand that as the Bible presents what a false teacher is like, these are slick salesmen. These are smooth talkers. These are deceivers. These are people who fool you. And as a result, they get us. Now, I want to be real honest here. Through blogs, podcasts, books, conversations, this is taking place. This is taking place among our brethren. There are gospel preachers who we would consider conservative gospel preachers today who say when they pray, they feel the walls shake. Was well, that biblical? There are those who say Jesus was never tempted. Was well, that biblical? And yet because they're one of us, because they have a gathering and a following, people kind of follow into this. So as Peter is writing this, He's warning the brethren. He's getting them to see that a long time ago, there was false teachers. Guess what's happening today? There are false teachers. Now, and, and, and the things they need to see. Now, as we wrap this up, there's three lessons for us. Lesson number one, Satan is always trying to pull you off the path. Because he knows what truth is. Romans 1 verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so he's got to twist that gospel in your mind. He's got to get that off center so you'll leave that path. Jesus would say in John 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so what God has done for us is he has established a network of defense to help us. He doesn't leave us out there on our own and say, you know, false teachers are coming. Good luck. He has developed a defense system. One of them are shepherds. And as the Bible teaches, they are to feed the flock, they are to watch the flock. And we need to realize and listen to them when they warn us about things, when they encourage us, when they challenge us to step up, we need to see this is something that comes about. Sermons and classes, they're the same thing. They, they build our faith and they help us become what God wants us to be and, and, and to, to see that value of these things. And then the idea of the God's word itself. Now what's interesting here. This is not directed to shepherds. This is directed to everyone. Peter's writing to everyone. What Peter's saying is, you've got to recognize what's right and what's wrong. You've got to recognize what's healthy and what's poison. You've got to recognize what's truth and what's error. And that's something we've got to ask ourselves. 
We can't just leave it to the elders to do this. We can't just leave it to the preachers to do this. Please tell me why I'm supposed to believe, and I'll believe it. That's not the biblical answer. The biblical answer is to search the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so, and to have that heart that I know. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Do not be unwise, but know the will of God. That's where we have Bible classes. That's why we wear out our Bibles and our sermons, so that we will recognize what is true and what is not true. And so from this, we understand that when it comes to the idea of truth, is that truth never is suffered by questions. Ask the questions. Ask the hard questions. Let me see this. And, and, and truth will never, never suffer at all from that. Truth has never suffered by being investigated. Let's look these things up. Let's consider these things. And the pursuit of evidence and the proof, it never bothers truth. Now, error will run. Error because there is no proof. Because the questions will stop error. Because investigation will show that these things are not true. But we have a folks today who are just not satisfied with God's way. They want the church to be more than what God said it was. They want more things to be than what God says. And when someone's heart is not content with God, with what God says, they become the one who's ready for error, and they'll follow that error. So Peter is telling these people, it's coming. But will you be ready for such things? A second thing we notice here is that God will rescue those who have a heart to follow him. Back again to our context in 2 Peter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. In verse 5, he says Noah was preserved. In verse 7, he says Lot was rescued. And God will rescue you if you have the heart to seek and follow his righteousness. You will see through error. You will understand things. I have read multiple, multiple times in the book something I'm reading. It just sounds good, good, good. And all of a sudden, wait a minute. That statement's not true. And the thing is, could you recognize that? Could you listen to somebody on a podcast? And he's just telling you all the great things about God and all the wonderful things. And then there's that statement. You say, well, wait a minute. That just doesn't sound right. I want to look in my Bible. I want to chase that down. I want to consider whether that's true or not. That's how God helps us. And then there is a judgment. That's what's running through all this. Now, next Sunday, Lord willing, Jason and I are going to do a special two-part sermon. He's going to finish this book, 2 Peter 3, which talks about the second coming of Jesus. And Lord willing, next Sunday night, I'm going to talk about the judgment. Because everybody wants Jesus to come. Everybody wants to go to heaven. Let's go to heaven. But they forget there's something before heaven that's called the judgment. We all shall stand before the throne of God. And that's something, again, that we need to see. And so through all this, what Peter is telling us is that the world is dangerous. Satan is out to get you. Stay close to him. Stay so close to him, you'll be just fine. Now let me wrap this up by reading something from one of my favorite writers. It's called the real versus the counterfeit. Real Christianity never flinches at sacrifice. The counterfeit always looks for the bargain counter. Real Christianity is concerned with giving. Counterfeit is only concerned with getting. Real Christianity binds up dirty sores. The counterfeit passes on the other side. Real Christianity is built on conviction. 
Counterfeit is built on convenience. Real Christianity proceeds by faith. The counterfeit goes by sight. Real Christianity reaches out. The counterfeit always reaches in. Real Christianity goes for broke, while the counterfeit always plays it safe. Real Christianity always bears a cross. The counterfeit just wears a crown. Real Christianity loves in spite of. Counterfeit always loves because of. Real Christianity always dreams big dreams. The counterfeit never dreams at all. Real Christianity lives on the battlefield. The counterfeit stays on the playground. Real Christianity follows Jesus regardless of the cost. The counterfeit follows what's popular and what's easy. Real Christianity believes that faith can move mountains. The counterfeit tries to bulldoze them down. Real Christianity spends its time telling the good news of Jesus Christ. The counterfeit spends time watching the evening news. Real Christianity makes disciples. Counterfeit just makes waves. Real Christianity disturbs the comfortable, and counterfeit only comforts the disturbed. Real Christianity pays the price and goes the distance. The counterfeit faces trials and runs. Real Christianity builds character. The counterfeit just builds buildings. Real Christianity never backs down. The counterfeit is in reverse most of the time. Real Christianity is looking for Jesus to come. The counterfeit is just looking for retirement. Peter said there were false teachers and there'll be false teachers. But you know why he does? He shows us how we can get through this. We get through this because of God. We get through this because we have the Bible. We get through this because of faith. And so in those times, as in our times, there's all kinds of ideas. Everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a thought about what they ought to do. Everyone has an idea how you can be saved. Everyone has an idea how to grow the church. We must stick with God's way. It is the only way. And so that's our thoughts for us this evening. Again, as we keep walking on through this series here and talking about this idea that we belong to Jesus. I am his and he is mine. This evening, if you want to become a Christian, there's only one way, and that's following God's way. There's not multiple choices. There's not multiple avenues. There's not opinion on the street. Well, I think you can do it this way, and I think you can do it that way. We do it God's way. It is the only way. If we can be of any help to you, won't you come? As we stand, as we sing.